Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the science fiction book club podcast. I'm your host, Adrian. And I'm Matt. Welcome, Matt. Welcome, buddy. Woo! So, Spectology is a science fiction book club podcast where most months we pick one book, read it, and talk about it over the course of two episodes. But Adrian, why is this month different from any other month? Well, this month is different because we have chosen three books. <laughs> oh, whose idea was that? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> Probably mine. <laughs> no, I, it's great. <laughs> I um, like books. So what we're doing this month, December of 2019, the last month of the decade, is we're reading sort of um, like old classic sci-fi. You know, we tend to talk about more modern science fiction stuff kind of published within the, you know, the kind of this millennium for the most part. Uh, so we're going back. We are reading three different books by three different authors talking about each one with a different guest, hopefully. Uh, we've actually already recorded two of the episodes. We're working on the third episode. So that is the potential that the guest won't work out there just due to life stuff. I mean, it's it's hard to schedule with a lot of people. Um, but uh, I guess we should talk like what the three books are. The first one is Childhood's End by Arthur C. Clarke, published in the early 50s, kind of a seminal work of science fiction. Um, one that I read as a kid. And we, you know, we kind of talk a lot about that. Like it was, it was a sort of classic book for me and like new for both Matt and our guest. Um, what was the second book, Matt? The second book was ice by Annika Vaughn, which is a, uh, late sixties published in the late sixties, written in the early sixties, more of a kind of cult classic, uh, mm -hmm. influential to the people who knew about it, uh, and kind of a little bit forgotten after, a little while, but in undergoing a sort of resurgence now. There's a new right. Penguin edition of it. It's a very, very, very much a different book from Childhood's End. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I think that's the kind of book that is more popular amongst authors than readers. So maybe has an outsized influence on the type of stuff you might read now, even though you haven't read it um, until you listen to our episode and read it with us. Uh, so that was an interesting and fun episode. And then finally, uh, will be, I say will be because we haven't recorded this one yet. Uh, Samuel R. Delaney's Stars in My Pocket Like Grains of Sand. Um, and that is a book published in the late 80s. Uh, actually, it was originally meant to be the first book of a duology, although the second book never got written and it looks like it never will. Um, and that will be interesting because Delaney is a pretty interesting figure in the history of science fiction. He kind of spans both the like golden age sci-fi into the new wave of sci-fi and kind of like wrote through, through both and really in both types of science fiction. So we'll talk more about that. Um, you know, I think we're going to do less of the book fact and author fact type stuff in this episode because we're doing it sort of in the book episodes. Uh, book facts. Book facts. Uh, and so instead, Who, uh, we wanted to talk today a little bit about our personal history with classic science fiction, sort of what it means to be classic science fiction. Um, and the, the other thing we're going to talk about is like reading problematic fiction in general, because a lot of this stuff is maybe, oh, yeah. maybe of its era, maybe even like not of its era and just kind of like shitty even for the time. 
Um, you know, we've talked about this like off and on when we talked about Lovecraft while reading Victor Laval's The Ballad of Black Tom. We've talked about this in different ways. We thought it would be kind of a fun topic, <laughs> fun, uh, yeah. an interesting topic to grapple with while yeah. we sort of like do this classic science fiction and like history of science fiction month. Yeah. Deconstructing the classics. Mm-hmm. Colon with Adrian and Matt. <laughs> with Matt and Adrian. <laughs> that's so you're so kind Thank you. <laughs> so yeah matt i'm i'm curious uh you know we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before but i am curious like for you like how you started reading science fiction and to what degree like you know kind of like the science fiction that was published before we were born was like a part of that like to what degree were you reading kind of golden age and new wave stuff yeah, I mean, so I I would say when I when I think about kind of what what mattered the most to me as a kid, honestly, the name that comes to mind is Asimov. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Asimov, and then and then there was a bunch of old like more pulpy stuff that I that I really liked. Interesting, um, whether it was in the form of comics or Star Star Wars comics or or you know Star mm-hmm. Wars novels or mm-hmm. like Star Trek tie-in novel here or there or mm. like you know, some old paperbacks that my dad had lying around because my dad's always been a science fiction fan um, from, you know, honestly written by people. Who I don't even remember the name, but it's like, you know, classic, classic sort of space opera stuff. Right. Um, so I would say yes. And, and I think like a lot of people, you know, my interaction with the Golden Age was like, it's not like I read, you know, uh, a uniform, like a uniform sample mm-hmm. <laughs> drawn equally from like every part of the Golden Age, what that meant, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I, for example, I didn't really read much. I didn't really read much Arthur C. Clarke as a kid, although I did read short stories by Arthur C. Clarke a bunch. Um, and then, you know, when I was older, I sort of got into like recently, of course, I read um, uh, uh, childhood's end and, uh, and also like rendezvous with Rama in 2001 and all these things. And I, I really, really dig it. But, you know, as a kid, I didn't read that stuff. And I also kind of didn't read much Heinlein, although I read, uh, a little, I think I read like starship troopers or, or like one of the ma- famous ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was moon, moon, like harsh, uh, harsh mistress. Um, but I did read like a ton of Asimov. I read like every Asimov book I could get my hand on. I read yeah. like a bunch of his non. I actually read Isaac Asimov's autobiography when I was little, because <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I just was like really into it, you know. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so people have these. I think talking to my friends other than you and like other folks, like my my understanding is people have these like sort of differential experiences with the canon, so to speak. What about you, dude? Like, is that how you, th- you see it? Or did you just kind of read everything? Yeah. I mean, so my reading habits as a kid were really mediated by like what the local public library had, right? Like mm-hmm. I almost all the reading I did was from library books. Um, and what they had in the science fiction section did tend to be a lot of like the classic stuff. It also helps like, like your dad, my dad was into science fiction and kind of helped get me into it. Uh, so there was also this element of like starting off kind of reading stuff. You'd be like, Oh, you know, like Clark is someone you should know. Asimov is someone mm-hmm. you should know. Um, and so I think I read a lot of the sort of like big four kind of like golden age guys, right? Like, who gets At, counted as the fourth? <laughs> uh, Asimov, Bradbury, Clark, and Heinlein. Yeah, that makes are, are sense. The, the, I think like the four that I think of. You know, I always thought you of know, it as like the A, B, C, and then H. <laughs> well, so it's interesting you say Big Four because I, 
I have often heard people say big three, leaving out Bradbury. Yeah, um, yeah. And I know both of those ideas exist. Right. I think there's this sort of... Um, well, yeah, I, I I don't know. Those were, to me, the like, you know... And this is not some sort of like external canon thing. I mean, I know it isn't so much as like it was the people my dad told me to read and it was what the library had and all these other things. But mm-hmm. for me, those were the ones that I really enjoyed. And I think I went through a bit of a, um, you know... I started it the first science fiction novel I ever read that I remember like being a science fiction novel and really loving was Islands in the Sky by Arthur C. Clarke. It was one of his juvies, mm. one of his like most or his early kind of juvenile novels. Um and from there, the first adult science fiction novel that I remember reading and really loving was I, Robot by Isaac Asimov. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and the third book I really remember sort of like, I think probably being the first time that I really felt like, oh, like science fiction can do like so many things was Ray Bradbury's mm-hmm. The Martian Chronicles. Like those are yeah. the three kind of oh. canonical, like, you know, sort of like first time books for me, like really sort oh, of man. like cemented what science fiction can be in my head. Oh, yeah. So for me, I think the first might have, I'm not sure, like I don't really remember. So I, I probably have mentioned on the show before the, uh, I had the experience of my dad showing me Star Wars when I was six. And that was a, big thing for me i was obsessed with star wars as a kid and that was like in my entree into a lot of other sort of spaceship stuff but then i I, at some point i read when i was very young foundation and the foundation books absolutely yeah yeah that was like that was it man yeah yeah i was always more into the robot stories than the and i love those too you know i also so i read a lot of short stories too is the other thing i I think this is probably Mm, true for you too it sounds like but like you know, I had, or I didn't have the library had Asimov's like big double collection of every short story he'd ever published. And mm. I read every single one of those short stories. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I read all those. Um, I read, I think most of his novels, I kind of skipped the empire novels and I haven't read all of the foundation novels. Although I did read some of the like later, like tie in ones that kind of like blend everything together. Um, I read all the robot novels. One of the, you know, some of his stories slash novels I really enjoyed were the um, Azazel and the ABC murder stories. Like he had these like, oh. kind of like weird, um, like oh, mystery yeah. stories that I really, I really enjoyed. All of the mystery. Like, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of, you know, mystery as a genre. <laughs> so <laughs> I love those also. Right. And I that's what really got me into, into the robot ones. Oh, I love I love like noir and mystery and, right. and the idea of like combining it with robots is absolutely genius. But so right. I should say other stuff that that was a that was really big for me as a kid that I that I can't forget to mention uh, Dune. Big oh, into interesting. Dune, and um, and McCaffrey's Pern books. Oh, I was, right. I, I, I like. Oh, and, and um, oh, what uh, 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 I think I read some like Ursula K. Le Guin short stories, too. Mm. These are all things like I read when I was pretty young. And so I kind of like don't I don't remember a lot of the details, but I know that I thought about them a lot. Totally. You know? Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's so, a lot of that for me, too, where it's like I don't remember <laughs> anything that happens in some of these books. But I know that at the time they were really important to me. Oh, yeah. Um. I'm curious, did you read like the Dune sequels as well or just Dune? No, no. Okay. Uh, I actually, it's it's kind of funny. I, what I remember, I remember reading the first one and then I kind of, 
<laughs> my dad told me that he didn't like the sequels or something like that right happened. i don't remember right. exactly what and so i was like eh, whatever it was like good enough for me like and uh-huh. i really liked it <laughs> uh-huh. but then but then what happened was they came uh, some uh, uh kevin j anderson i think started writing the prequels yeah they started coming out with and and uh and uh his son um uh Right, Frank Herbert's son. I forget right. his name too. Um, yeah, they started coming out with the prequels, and I started reading those. <laughs> oh, really? So you've read the yeah. like what usually yeah. are considered the bad prequels? I know, right? I know. That's really funny. <laughs> but I, mean, I, I was a kid. I, I haven't them. read I any of them, all. so I, ha- I had no judgment there from me. Um, you know, and I didn't have anything to compare it to, right? Like I didn't. Right. It's not like I'd read. You know, the, yeah, anyway, totally. <laughs> no, it is interesting to hear because, like, you know, I I will say then sort of like as I got older and into like, you know, middle school and high school, I think I started reading a little bit more. That's when I got more into Heinlein was like middle school and high school. I think it just sort of like, you know, and I read his like weird, old, sexy, perverted books like way too <laughs> young. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> like you know probably like middle school i was reading some of that shit like probably not not the best time to be reading it quite frankly um but also there's a, yeah there's an awful lot whether it's science fiction or fantasy there's an awful lot of very explicit stuff that oh. like i would imagine a lot of children i certainly did also read oh yeah yeah <laughs> and then some of the other stuff i got into was um like Roger Zelazny and some of the more kind of like new wave science fiction type stuff. Um, you know, mm. I never really read a whole lot of that until I got to college. Um, but there was sort of like enough of it in there that I had a bit of an idea about it. But I think as a kid, I read a lot of stories, read a lot of short stories, also read a fair amount of novels, but like really kind of had this focus on like, novels and short stories mostly in the golden age about like rockets and space travel and that kind of thing and that's what i like liked about science fiction and um yeah i will also say because you brought this up i never read any star wars novels like i liked the movies but i never read any star wars novels i never read any star trek novels i never read any of the sort of like authors who had these like big long-standing like you know series that they owned mm-hmm. like the Pern novels or anything like all none of that really ever appealed to me like i never got into that kind of like franchisey type stuff oh i was all about that stuff mm-hmm. i owned at one point every star wars novel and i had read all of them at least three times <laughs> like <laughs> which if you know that i don't reread things i mean right. that was not true of me as a kid i re- reread everything right um, same i was like obsessed with it I, I would just read them over and over again and um so I, I was big into the series. I also it, it bears mentioning that I read a lot of fantasy too. I, yeah, I uh, I read a lot of the big epic fantasy series, Wheel mm-hmm. of Time, you know, mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings, all those, and um, and uh, and then I got into. I, I think what happened was I I I never had um, I never had anyone sort of tell me. Generally speaking, like my dad never sort of sat me down and was like, you know, these are the good ones, these are the bad ones, with a couple exceptions, like I mentioned with Dune. He just kind of like was like, you know, every now and then he'd be like, you might like this. Yep. I think my first Heinlein thing was something he gave me. Yeah. Um, so same but, with me. I think we've talked yeah. about like Stranger in a Strange Land. My exactly. dad gave me Which that. Which is such like a way weird, too young. Such a weird book to give your kid. <laughs> yeah. Such a, and I told my dad this and he was like, what are you talking about? It's like a fun sci-fi. And he like didn't remember at yeah, all like exactly, what happened in it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> same. Same with my dad. Well, also, I think, I don't know if this was the case for you, but like apparently the book, The Stranger in a Strange Land that was published when our dads were kids was the mm. sub 
somewhat redacted version and yes, the like version that remember, gets published yeah. now is the like unedited version which just means yeah. too that like they are different versions and like i've read both right. the redacted version it still has like a lot of weird section in it but like it's not as weird and it's not quite as like yeah. explicit and in the front of things. So I can understand no, that's a, that's how they would point. like miss that. Um, yeah, totally. But it's, I think it's still kind of a weird book to give oh, a kid because like 100%. it's a weird book. Like the story is weird. Super it's not weird. rockets and, and people fighting in space. You know what I mean? It's, no. it's weird. No. It's like a messiah story. It's more like Dune, honestly, mm-hmm. which Dude. might be why my dad thought I would like it. Oh, Actually, maybe now maybe. that I think about it. I think my dad thought I would like it because I was sort of the like, you know, kind of liberal hippie kid in a relatively conservative <laughs> family. And so he was like, oh, you'll like this hippie shit. <laughs> that, that's honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good move. Good move. Um, so uh, I was, no, was going to say, so like nobody ever sat me down and sort of explained like, OK, yeah, these are the greats. These are the not greats. This is like the, this is like the lay of the land, so to speak. Uh-huh. And I always had one of the reasons I think that I'm fascinated with like the genealogy of stories. And I always talk about it like it's because I feel like it's like this secret that no one let me in on until I was older and sort of managed to figure it out, mm-hmm, which isn't mm-hmm, exactly mm-hmm. like an accurate description of what happened. Actually, you know, like t- people did tell me, but right. But that's how I feel about it. And it's so it's really, really cool for me uh, to discover like, oh, actually, yeah, you know, um, it turns out like, you know, do you can situate Dune, you know, as this like product of the 60s and like all of this sort of new wave of right. different kinds of people telling different kinds of stories in reaction to the sort of what they saw as this like staid sci-fi world of their forebears or something. But like actually, you know, of course, the reality is more complicated, but mm-hmm. but just, just being able to situate it like that is something I never I never understood what I was reading at a, in a in a in a in a larger context as a kid. It was always just like, oh, my God, where did this come from? What even is right. this? You know, right. That kind of wonder. Um, See, which was I, great too. <laughs> I, you know, I think it was because uh, like you, I read a lot of Asimov's just like writing and essays and that sort of thing. And I, in fact, in particular, remember having a like short story collection that was not the like big one, but was, I think a smaller one where he had a couple of different like essays about his science fiction and stuff in it. And like, he did a really good job. I mean, We'll talk about the ways in which this is problematic later, just like, you know, kind of put that to the side. But he, like, was very interested in, like, placing himself within the science fiction canon. And he was also (laughs) an editor and he, you know, kind of thought a lot about that type of stuff. And so wrote about it pretty, like, well in those essays. Um, And so I do kind of remember that of, like... I got some amount of that just by reading the sort of like forwards to the short stories that like Heinlein or Asimov or like, you know, these other guys. Also, you know, another person I actually I'm just remembering I read a lot of um, was Kurt Vonnegut. And I read a lot of his essays, too. And he would also kind of do that. And obviously he existed in a little bit like slightly more kind of literary space, not in terms of topics, but in terms of like, you know, the, how the culture the culture stuff right but you know he would also still like i mean he also still knew the science fiction guys and kind of like knew he was kind of in the middle of all of that and so i feel like it was those kind of essays of like you know in some ways these like white dude authors like self-mythologizing right. Right. so much of that <laughs> yeah no because like one of the things i remember about asimov i don't really remember some of the essays but i know i read them but i do remember very strongly his autobiography because i was like totally fascinated oh by it. interesting and um I got the sense from it for the first time, like, oh, this is like a, a person who like might have flaws, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> and, you know, one of the things I remember thinking about is sort of like, oh, like he like has, 
he like wants me to think th- certain things about him right you know and right. like like the 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 stuff that i can't just like take it because i i another thing i read of his was he has this book i don't remember what it's called but it's you know in the vein of uh popular science history of the universe book oh yeah and i read that actually describes, yeah. yeah 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 it describes the um formation of the universe the big bang the solar system's formation the mm-hmm, evolution mm-hmm. of life you know these sorts of things all the way up to i forget where but right. it's a science book and he wrote a lot of popular science books mm-hmm. and i remember being like just amazed that he was so smart and like so knowledgeable and then i, I read his autobiography and I, and I was thinking like oh he like wants me to think he's so smart oh yes <laughs> very very much which is so. a great you know a great <laughs> lesson for a kid <laughs> that's funny you know i don't think i i because i read his stuff when i was so young and i think i you know, stopped reading Asimov pretty young as well. Like, I don't think I was reading Asimov into like middle school and high school. I definitely not into high school. Um, mm. Like, cause I had read so much of it when I was in a like elementary school and middle school. And so I don't know if I ever got that from him, even though like in retrospect, it's so obvious. Also just like how fucking shitty and sexist he was is really obvious too. I mean, like, well, we'll we'll definitely we'll, get to that. We'll That's talk about something some you can say stuff. about a lot of these guys. But also, but like the person I actually learned, I feel like got that from the most was um, Heinlein, because he sort of has all these self-insert characters in his novels, yeah. especially yeah. his later like dirty old man novels. And like it became very clear, really like, you know, I read the first one or two and was like, oh, yeah, this like, you know, these guys I'm supposed to like, you know, kind of be like, they're the greatest. And the more I read, it, I was like, oh, no, this is like mm-hmm. not great. And like, I can I still remember, enjoy these while also yeah. being like this. The philosophy of this is not great. And the like, you oh, know, yeah. attitude of these 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 author inserts were clear. Like I understand as an yeah, author yeah, self insert. Yeah. Not great. Oh, yeah. I remember feeling that very strongly from Stranger in a Strange Land. Because mm-hmm. I, I read Stranger in a Strange Land around the same time I read Jonathan Livingston's Seagull. And oh, I was, no shit. Me too. I was pretty young. Yeah, it makes sense, right? <laughs> I was pretty young. And uh, and I just remember thinking like very similar thoughts about both of them. Like, geez, <laughs> who's this person that's writing this? And just like, oh. like, what's going on in their head? Like, I could not stop thinking about what must have been going on in the author's head as I read both of those. Right. Like, it was very like, I was very like, oh, my God, like, what? What what was making them write this? Like this is like so it was like impossible for me to like separate the idea of the person writing it from the idea of because the characters were so, so funny. Like any talk of messiahs, I think, right. makes it difficult to make that separation. See, John. <laughs> see, the difference here is that like Jonathan Livingston Seagull and like a couple of his other novels as well. Um, what's the author's name? I'm blanking on his name all of a sudden. Uh, but, but regardless, I don't remember. like his novels were kind of like seminal to me as like a young little good Christian boy in like, you know, rural Alaska sort of like losing his faith. Like those oh, novels man. really did a number on me. And like, I think ultimately in a good way, um, you know, it's good to have those kind of like one Oh one Richard sort of, Bach, Richard Bach. Right. Exactly. Um, like those novels really, you know, I'll bet you anything that like because I liked those novels is why my dad gave me Stranger in a Strange Land. It's it makes so, sense, it's so right? funny. It makes total sense. Um, but they are yeah. kind of part and parcel. But yeah, I do. <laughs> I will admit like Jonathan Livingston Siegel and a few others were like really seminal novels for me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, kind of funny, like the other stuff, because I didn't 
only read sci-fi. I mean, we've talked like I also read a decent amount of like horror, especially in high school. Um, both kind and like you know, I think with the horror stuff I was reading, I was a lot more likely to read like contemporary horror than I was contemporary science fiction. Like, interesting. Huh. I never read any contemporary science fiction in high school. Really? Yeah, really, really weird. And I don't know to what degree that is because of like what the local, you know, the public library and then the high school library had. I, I, I don't know why it was. Whereas with the horror, I was a lot more likely to, I think hmm. partially because my friend Nate, who we've had on the podcast, and I would like share books and I was a lot more likely to like borrow his like horror books that he had bought. Hmm. But yeah, I actually, this is kind of interesting, you know, like Le Guin, Banks, Actually, the Gwen might not be. I might have read a few of her short stories, but like definitely like Ian M. Banks, David Brin, um, like these. Oh, yeah. I had never yeah. read them in high. I never read them well, until David, college. David Brin is not really. I mean, he's still writing, of course, but I think of him as an older author because you know his his sort of first famous books came out in the eighties. You know, right? But even then, like I wasn't. I wasn't even reading books that came out in the like 90s you know like oh, wow. i was reading stuff yeah. from like the early 80s and like earlier mostly i guess some of the you know the other thing is i would get really into authors and i would like find an mm. author that i liked and then just like read every single one of their books that i had available to me yeah i i so when i was in um late high school i got into uh david mitchell and uh, neil stevenson and i read like all of their books you got into and, and David there were, there Mitchell were some in guys high school. Like that. Yeah, the first book of his, I, I yeah, I, I read. I don't remember how I heard about it. It was, it was, it was a, a while ago. It was like you know a long right, time ago. Right. So it was long before the movies. And I read um, Number Nine Dream. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, if it was Number Nine Dream. That makes sense. Yeah, and and I really liked it. So I read yeah. like all his other books. And, yeah, and he totally. has a he has some literary fiction that, that's really good. Black Swan Green mm -hmm. is really good. Mm -hmm. Um. I really liked it, and uh, and there were there were authors like that. I think that where I read they ha they don't write like long series, but I like read all their stuff. Yeah, um, there were some other ones too. But I think the main vehicle through which I read like all of an author's stuff was if that author wrote like these long epic series, like so and McCaffrey's. You know, I mean, yep. there's so many Pern books, <laughs> yep. Yep. and I really like them. <laughs> Interesting. Did you ever get into any of the like David Weber, David Weber, or um what uh the vacosian novels and saga yeah, like any of those i did not actually i didn't my dad has like a ton of them but i never got into those and it was mostly just like pure coincidence i never got worked my way through it because i did read some bane books it's not like i right. like avoided all bane books or something but uh i happened to never read those um although i have since and and like some of them are fun like i've read young miles for example that's pretty fun mm-hmm yeah, I mean, I think uh, there are definitely a lot of these sort of like more modern, like pulpier things that I've read uh, and really enjoyed. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of a good example. I remember this one book when I was little. I must have been in like middle school or something. I remember that it was like a it was about this. It was like far future sci fi. Um, there are no humans in the book. Uh, it's all this sort of all the characters are, are this this race of aliens and they're exploring the galaxy. And I don't want to give any. Well, whatever. I, I guess it doesn't matter if I spoil it. it I literally don't even remember the name of the yeah. book. Um, what happens, of course, is the aliens are exploring the galaxy and they stumble across what you, the reader, eventually realizes Earth. And it's oh, this shit. 
it's this dead world. That's awesome. And, um, they find the remains of humanity and they're trying to piece together the sort of puzzle of like what happened to humanity. God, it's pretty so cool. cool. I, yeah, I don't uh, know what that is. That sounds awesome. Yeah, no, I, I don't remember. I, I don't think it's like really famous. I, I just, right. I remember really liking it, you know, stuff like that where there was all this awesome stuff. My dad has so many old sci-fi paperbacks mm-hmm, and, uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's there's right. so much, so much there. You, I could just like wander into it and sort of like come out with something, and <laughs> and I would never know what I was going to get. And it was like this, uh, you know, treasure trove. It's sort of yep. like going to the library, which I also did, but yeah, you know, yeah, no, that's that's interesting. Do you, I'm curious. Did you do much like reading of like literary fiction or that type of stuff as a kid? I didn't like really... maybe high school ish. So but when I was pre college, I think I had this idea in my head that things that are quote unquote classics, which to me at that point, that's the word I would have used. And what that meant right. to me then was right. it meant like literary fiction, you know, we're, we're bad. Like I do. I, Ooh, I didn't interesting. Like oh, that's so but, funny. But, but despite having that idea in my head, I did read some things that you, that, you know, now I would perhaps call literary fiction. Right. I just didn't have the right idea I, or I didn't have, I didn't have like a, an understanding of like what most other people would have said was genre X, you know, I yep. just kind of, it was all this sort of soup I was swimming through. And, um, yeah. So, so I guess the answer is yes. Like I, I mean, when I was really young, treasure Island was like my favorite book. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, uh, a number of, um, a number of of like I'm trying to like Kurt Vonnegut I suppose is, is an American classic at this point I remember yeah. reading Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man in high school and being like blown away oh you cool know? yeah um and of course like that's what what is that if not a sort of modern classic but but at the time I didn't see it that way <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting because I also I think uh you know I had a very similar experience where I would read stuff like the unbearable lightness of being maybe oh yeah i read you know, oh yeah and, yeah, and be yeah. like oh this is so like philosophical and great and like so deep <laughs> yeah man. oh totally totally <laughs> um you know siddhartha did you ever read siddhartha you know i never did that was when my dad like like herman hessa generally my dad tried to get me to read and i and i still never have for whatever reason I loved Siddhartha when I was in high school. Yeah. That was one of my favorites. I mean, it probably really would have spoken to me, but for whatever reason, I never picked it up. Um, you know, it is funny the ways that there's these sort of like contingencies at time where it's just like, oh yeah, that book, like I've been hearing about it my whole life and never picked it up. Or like another yeah. one, I've, I've mentioned this before, like I've never actually read Dune. I mean, I have, oh, I have like right. yeah, three times attempted to read it and I've never finished it because I kind of hate it. <laughs> and like, yeah, including I mean, when I was a kid like i tried reading it in middle school and never was able to yeah no i i i um i totally know what you mean i mean there were like i there's no good reason why i wouldn't enjoy um the i think it's uh peter peter f Ham- i forget if it's peter f hamilton or not yeah, the reality dysfunction series yeah yeah i think that's yeah. him that's something my dad loved and he like he was like man you'll like this and there's no there's no like when he told me i would like it i I think I would have, like I was, I yeah. don't know, 16 or something. And, and I, I just didn't, yeah. I tried to read it and I didn't, I didn't, I don't know why I didn't get into it. Cause there's no obvious reason to me why, yeah. I, you know, it seems like the kind of thing I was reading in other forms. At I the don't time, know, man. So. I've, I've read Peter Hamilton's like, um, what was it? The, uh, the Pandora's star and its sequel. And mm-hmm. I, 
was so mad that I actually read both of those <laughs> by the time I finished. That was actually, those were the books that like convinced me that like I can just stop reading. If I don't like something, I shouldn't keep reading it. Like those books changed the way I read because I hated them so much. I didn't even hate them. They were just like, so not what they were advertised as. Um, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I like that stuff, you know, also like you, yeah, I read a bunch of Vonnegut. I read a bunch of like, Oh, I mean, obviously Douglas Adams was like, you know, oh, yeah, I mean, the sure. Hitchhiker's yeah, Guide yeah, yeah. was like my Bible. Oh, yeah. Jesus. You know, it's also kind of how I got into Zelazny was because I, I read some of his like, um, more kind of like weird off the shelf, like obscure novels, but they had a similar kind of humor. And I really liked that. So I never read Zelazny until I was in college. Oh, and, interesting. Uh, and that's something I, I, um, you know, I, it, it, my dad didn't have any Zelazny. It yeah. was that simple, I think. And yeah. I just never encountered it. But as soon as I read it, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> one day I really want to revisit Doorways in the Sand for like, because that I was I never this, read that one. Yeah, no, the, that was this book that I, I think literally I bought it at like a library sale, right? Like the library would like mm -hmm, sell books mm -hmm. from time to time for like 50 cents a piece. And I think I bought it there and like, the reason I bought it was because its inscription was to Asimov. Like he had a little thing at the <laughs> beginning that was like, oh, you know, like thanks to Asimov for like being such a, you know, like stand up dude for whatever, blah, blah, blah. And um, I remember reading it and being totally blown away by just how weird and funny it was. And I <laughs> loved the weirdness of it. Uh, but I've never yeah. I've never revisited. I've not revisited it as an adult, like since high school. Have you ever read? Um, I think it's called the dream master no oh, no there's so many great weird zelazny books yeah oh, i know so i know good. i know also like you know i like i sometimes lament like oh i wonder what books or even like what short stories i picked up in some random collection that i like read and really liked and just like don't remember at all anymore sort of like stuff that is lost to the sands of time in my like really relative like pretty i have a pretty terrible memory especially for stuff that i read it kind of like goes in and out really quickly and uh you know i sometimes wonder like oh man what like sort of hidden gems did i read and i don't even like have the experience of having read them anymore. well this is one of the reasons i love i love to sort of try to pick up old paperbacks of yeah. old, old uh, sci-fi books and old fantasy books and um Every now and then I will sort of stumble across something and remember it. And I had that experience with the uh, Christopher Stashev books. Have you, have you heard no, of these? No, I don't know um, what those are. It's a series he did. They're like humorous fantasy, basically. Um, mm -hmm. But there's, there are sci-fi elements in some of them. There's one that's called, it's like a prequel. It's called Escape Velocity. And I, uh, it, it's, the it's like about uh, this guy who is like a agent of an interstellar um government who goes to these planets that have fallen back into the dark ages and lost all sense of modernity and technology and he like is a secret agent who all he has is like sort of his wits and these various technological implements and he has to like basically foment revolution that will overthrow the medieval governments of these like planets and like usher in like a modern you know it's almost like star trek morality right but yeah but it's uh but I just, I mean, those there. That book was so fun as a kid. I like really loved it. And this is whole series. And I totally had forgotten completely about them until I saw it in a bookstore. And I was like, Oh my god! Wow. <laughs> no, I haven't heard of those. Sound really fascinating. That's really most of them are more fantasy than that. Uh -huh, that uh -huh. yeah, um, the uh, uh, I think the wizard, dis the warlock, despite himself or something like that, is like the first one. Mm -hmm. um, and because of course, like the people on these medieval planets think, you know, that the high tech 
guy who like knows everything is a wizard right so oh um, right 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 right. but then it turns out that there is magic so okay great (laughs) (laughs) see that's where because you know i didn't read fantasy as a kid like in a very sort of um fantasy's lame yeah like stupid way like a very sort of like (laughs) Fantasy is dumb because magic doesn't exist. Spaceships exactly, exist. Exactly, right. Um, you know, exactly. which is funny because I was reading horror, which is like all weird right. supernatural stuff. And I really liked my kind of philosophical supernatural, like Jonathan Livingston Siegel or Ishmael, like Daniel mm-hmm. Quinn, like that kind of stuff. Like I really liked all those. But for whatever reason, yeah, the fantasy, especially the kind of medieval fantasy type stuff, just... um lost me like i tried a few yeah. times and never there's got a into whole it. there's a whole sort of subgenre of things that involve like i mean nowadays we might call it urban fantasy but this is like way before that genre right really right. got got its sense of self there were all these books that would involve people from like magical worlds being transported into our real world or vice versa mm-hmm. like um there's a uh, like shoot, Thomas I Covenant, I think, was the one that I read. That sure, was like but that even before that, that, in like the 50s and 60s, there were books like this that were like there's um the Goblin Tower by Els Sprague du Camp, mm. and a lot of those books involve a kind of weird mix of technology and magic that's like hard to categorize. Interesting, you know, cool. where like somebody will like have a gun, but like they'll have to fight a dragon, you know, and it's like okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is just so similar to science fiction in so many ways, but that's just not how people thought of it, right? You know. Right. Totally. Totally. It is. No, that stuff is really interesting. And yeah, and that stuff all just sort of like passed me by. Like I said, I I read a couple of them and never really enjoyed it and kind of like went back to my like Clive Barker or like Heinlein or like whatever else it was I was reading. Do you know what's funny about those books is that um, they, as far as I know, from reading things Gary Gygax has written, they were a big influence on Dungeons and Dragons. Oh yeah, I bet. I bet. Well the original Dungeons and Dragons was very like tech and magic all sort of smooshed mm-hmm. together kind of thing. Yeah. Like the what we think of as this purely like medieval esque thing, I think kind yeah. of came a little bit later. I guess Vance is also a really huge, yes. you know, yes. influence on Dungeons and Dragons. That was another like I never read any Vance until I think post-college, like as an adult, yeah. you know, living in New York. Was I love, I that, love that stuff. I Sword do too. and sorcery. Like, oh, yeah. Ugh. The Dying Earth stories are fucking great. They are so yeah. entertaining. They're so interesting yep. and funny. Uh, they, I was really surprised when I finally picked up Vance as an adult, like how much I enjoyed that. There are a lot of old fantasy that many of which have been forgotten except by like fantasy nerds mm-hmm. um, that are fascinating like so i don't know that's not really the subject of this podcast but it's pretty cool (laughs) no i mean you know it's it's close and i mean listen if we're gonna fucking talk about jonathan livingston seagull we can talk about jack vance (laughs) (laughs) the fact that you think that the one leads to the other is interesting no i'm just saying that like jonathan livingston seagull is also not the topic of this podcast supposedly so like we can we can talk about them all (laughs) books are cool i am now at this point in my life much less of a sort of like you know i mean science fiction fantasy whatever it's all bullshit i mean at the end of the day none of it is real right like spaceships also aren't real in the way that they're written about saying, science man? fiction uh and so I, I i don't tend to make as big distinctions along those lines as i used to i see that kind of in a way as one of the theses of this podcast you know the the mm-hmm. kind of the we you know part of what we do it's a science fiction book club right but like we kind of like 
we like one of the things that I'm interested in kind of displaying is that like, yeah, I mean, you know, like whatever you think of science fiction might also include this other thing, which right. honestly, it's, you know, if you if you check it out with us, then you might totally agree, despite it sort of seeming on the surface like it won't be the thing you think it is. It actually kind of is. Totally, totally. I would say the sort of like the kind of flip side of that same coin is like the other thing thesis of this podcast, or at least the, the maybe the method of this podcast that I like to do is treating science fiction really seriously in terms of like, you know, doing like theme and literary analysis on these kind of like sometimes kind of stupid genre books. And it's like, you can do that same kind of analysis on them. You can talk deeply about like the ideas and the themes inside these books and like that's worth doing. Absolutely. And like what we think of is, I mean, the whole concept of, I mean, this is, you know, we've talked about this so many times, but like the ghettoization of any one subset of like all books is silly because right. how we define subsets changes over time and it's totally arbitrary and people mm. don't even have any internal consistency in how they do it. So, right. you know, but right. it's worth, it's worth highlighting. It's worth discussing. And um, yeah, science fiction is cool. Books are cool. Books are cool. Um, I think maybe what we should talk about that isn't cool is <laughs> um, nice. how do we sort of read these books that might contain problematic elements? And then also, how do we read books where those like maybe there's not a problematic element, but also like we now know stuff about that author that really kind of changes our opinion of them. We read Ice and we sort of like talked about how like the book displays you know, we'll talk about the like content warnings for the like three books that we read in each of those episodes. Um, suffice to say, though, that like all of the books have a lot of like problematic content in them. Like Ice has a lot of like on screen like rapes and stuff like that, just so that like readers know before going into it. And all of the books have a lot of, you know, pro colonial racism that's just kind of like in the air of the book because like it was in the air with the, the authors at the time. I think especially because Anna Kavan and Arthur C. Clarke are both um, British authors too. Uh, you get a lot of that because they're like writing during the British Empire, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's like these books that we've chosen to re read. And I mean, a lot of the books that we're talking about or the authors we're talking about, like, you know, Asimov, you hear stories now about the way especially he treated like women and black people at like world cons back in the day. And it's horrifying. And it's like, you know, stuff like that prevented science fiction as a genre from being more diverse for a really long time. I mean, when, so th I'll, I'll talk about, I'll maybe start out talking about this was, um, you know, Arthur C. Clarke for a really long time, you know, he's a gay man or at least bisexual, I think towards the end of his life, mostly with other men. Um, and I had heard for a long time, these sort of like rumors that he was also a pedophile and like my kind of assumption with those rumors was always that they were sort of like these kinds of like conservative hit piece type thing of like, oh, he's gay in the like 70s and 80s. And so he must be a pedophile. And like, we're going to kind of smear him in that way. Um, but what I after recording the episode with you and Seth, I actually um, came across a couple of different things like written by people who were not anonymous about like their experiences as kids uh with him and like apparently it was like this thing of him being a pedophile was fairly well known in sri lanka where he lived and um 
Like, I, you know, it was this thing that I had always like had unexamined. It's like, oh, I, you know, kind of assume it's not true because that's a pretty typical kind of like hit piece on on that type of person. And it looks like now that like, oh, it probably was true. It was probably like pretty gross. And, you know, especially him being like a white man living in Sri Lanka where he has a lot of like political power as well as a sort of like racial dynamic going on. Like, like, like that stuff is really bad. I didn't know it when we were reading the book and talking about the book. Um but also like, you know, I, I, there's this question of like, how do we think about the like book childhood's end, which is written again in the fifties, like before, at least I've heard any of this stuff, you know, is about stuff that happened in like the eighties. Um, and so it's like, what's, how do we, how do we like relate to this kind of stuff? Because it's tricky. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, there are, um, there are a lot of, Example. I mean, this is this is a the question that you're sort of posing here. I think is something that we can apply to art in general, and I think it's sort of useful mm-hmm. to sort of mm-hmm. understand this discussion not just in the context of any one person, but in the context of yeah. like a lot of different people in a lot of different situations. So, like, I like Wagner's music, yeah, and I also have ever enjoyed reading Heidegger, and. It's a very it's always been and will always continue to be a difficult problem answering the question, how do we feel about um, the moral failings and moral failings is almost like too, you know, clinical a term for Mm -hmm. like the horrible things that people have done. How do we think feel about the horrible things that people have done who have made art? Like, how do we feel about the art of horrible people, you know, Or or the work of horrible people? And it's a very difficult question. I think there's no there. It, it seems obvious to me that there's no like one answer to, to it. But that doesn't mean like. But noting that fact doesn't doesn't answer doesn't it either. Too like much, you, <laughs> right? No, you know? exactly. So I mean, a, one, it's a it's a tough one. One way that about it. I have sort of dealt with it. I think you know, I, like I think there's sort of like two questions here. One is like what do you do with your own personal like, like let's just say reading habits, right? Like. I'm a person, I have so much time in my life, I have so much free time to devote to reading in my life, and like, what do I do with my own reading habits when maybe an author I like I find out was a shitty person? And like, personally, I what I tend to do is like read less of their stuff because there's like a lot of stuff to go around. Um, like, I'm I'm pretty okay with that. I'm also like a living author who is currently making money off of the works I might buy. I'm less likely to buy and read those works than I am for like a dead author who is like not any longer. And yeah, I don't, I mean, you know, I don't know to what degree that's like a moral choice or not, but like it, you know, tends to be what I do. Yeah. I think, I think one thing that's important to recognize just from like a sort of common sense, low level moral philosophizing point of view here is that like the economic choices we make, the decision to buy a book or not buy a book, you know, have have moral valence, just like any other choice we make in life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then but 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 furthermore, like it's also true that there's no such thing as a like sort of purely good act or a purely evil act. Like Mm -hmm. acts are kind of like it's it's impossible to like um to like totally know all of the consequences of the things that you do or to, or to like total, to be able to sort of prove definitively that like what you're doing is entirely good in no matter what you do. I think this is like a general fact about human frailty basically. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, but like neither of those things excuses the other. And, and so basically, you know, we're in, we're left in the position that we have to sort of acknowledge our, 
our kind of ability to air are like the necessity of our airing. Right. Um, and then also try nonetheless to sort of like air in like as harmless a way as we can or something like that. Right. Um, well, so, and you know, I, I said there were kind of two, like I separate this in two things and one is my own personal reading habits. And then the other is sort of like for this podcast, right? Where like right. for the podcast, I think in some ways you and I have a different uh, maybe like ethical requirements than we do for our own reading where we're not just reading and talking about books, but we're also like whether explicitly or implicitly like recommending that others do the same. We are essentially like acting as free advertising and free marketing for every single book that we read. That's right. And if nothing else, um, we're highlighting things. We're yep. sort of like, you know, putting oxygen into into the environment of those things that we talk about. Yep, exactly. And so I think that that is a, you know, due to that, I have been a lot more, you know, I, I mean, like, it's obviously a th- if anyone has, like, looked at the books that we choose, like, we try to read a really diverse array of authors. Um, we try to highlight books that we think are worth highlighting in some way or another. Um, and part of that is, like, we want to au- highlight authors that we feel comfortable highlighting. Like we don't, you know, which puts us in a kind of weird position for this, you know, like doing the classic sci-fi month. And part of why we wanted to kind of combine this into like one single month to talk about all of these things, because like, you know, I feel a lot. I mean, again, Clark is not alive right now. So, you know, be that as it may. But like, I feel a lot weirder about like recommending his fiction than I do River Solomon. Right. Just from the fact Mm -hmm. of like, I am this, you know, like influencer quote unquote whatever that means um you know i am essentially doing free advertising and like i want to do free advertising for some people and not for others um you know and so i think that there's this sort of like it's funny because my answer tends to be kind of the same which is that like I try to like read stuff I can feel good about reading and I try to like read stuff on the podcast and promote stuff that I feel good about promoting but I feel like there's kind of a different like maybe ethical reasoning that goes into it. Like one is pure preference. The other feels mm-hmm. like there's maybe a little bit more like ethical weight to those decisions, which yeah. I don't want to be self aggrandizing, but I do want to also, th- I, I think it's important when you do something that has an audience, however small that audience is that you think through the ways in which you affect other people and influence other people. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's the same, it's the same logic that would apply if you're sort of, you know, like, um, talking to 10 people instead of talking to one person mm-hmm. I mean, just like more people are hearing you so like it's like i'm gonna think about what i'm saying differently it, it makes total sense to me I, I i also think about it this way um i think it's interesting though because like you know there's 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 value also in having the discussion that we're having right now there's value also yep. in like sort of pointing at the thing directly and talking about it um and i you know and, and and also there's value in sort of acknowledging the the ways that the problematic works can have effects that are not problematic. Yeah. Which can happen. Yeah. And isn't like the default by any means. But like, it, you know, there are these things, you know, have tendrils of influence that reach into like mm-hmm. strange and unexpected places. Um, right. And, you know, there so there's basically just like a, a, a whole mess of things to talk about from a whole mess of angles. And, you know, we try to be responsible in how we do it. And we hope that we succeed or we hope that we at least don't fail too hard. Right. (laughs) Well, and you know, that's actually a really interesting point that, 
you know, I mean, something like let's talk about, I mean, both ice and childhood's end, um, are mm-hmm. both pretty influential novels. Like we talk about them in those episodes. So I'm not going to go, go over all of it, but like both those novels, like you read them and you just see their fingerprints, like across modern culture. Yeah. Especially uh, childhood's end, which right. I think, you know, so many people from from every country that has science fiction like just the the example i'm most familiar with you know in china all of the sort of famous chinese sci-fi authors who i'm aware of who've like discussed mm-hmm. what western science fiction they've ever read mm-hmm. have mentioned arthur c Clarke's childhood's end that's like totally. a particular book that's had like a big impact on like chinese science fiction right and i know that's true in other countries as well, well i mean also ja- <laughs> right like 10 yeah, billion Japan, days and, and 100 billion nights or 10 million days and 100 billion nights like that was directly influenced by childhood's end Right. Like that, that is a Mm -hmm. like direct influence on the writing of that novel. And like, that's a, you know, and so there's the question, like the question for me becomes like, okay, well, like this work has like an influence on the culture and simply like, and so there's an argument to be made for like us talking about it as like, Hey, this is this thing that has this influence on the culture. Some of which is good and some of which is bad. Let's talk it. Let, let's read it and talk about all of that. So that we're kind of like informed and aware there. Yeah. And I think one of the interesting things you get when you think about the effect that it's had in places like China, which certainly when the effect was first being felt in the, in the seventies and eighties, when like, you know, or the, when I think Mm -hmm. maybe it was first translated in the seventies, I'm not sure, but like when it was first translated in Chinese and first read by, by uh, the people who eventually would become China's current, like most famous science fiction authors, um, you know, China was still saw itself as a poor country as indeed in some ways it still does. And saw itself as a victim of colonialism. And here's this sort of expression in some sense of colonial power being read by people who see themselves as on the other side of that divide and then they're you know what are they going to do with it right are they going to use it as raw material i mean like we talked about this and that like childhood's end is like explicitly Mm -hmm. (laughs) pro-colonial like at the end of the day it is like a pro-colonial novel um and that's i mean it's really interesting i i wonder how much of that translated right i wonder how much like people were thinking about that and like agreeing with that at the time, I, I like. I wonder because I have no idea because I haven't. I haven't read most of the stuff. <laughs> um, but like that, that to me is really interesting, and I think that it is. You know, again, I think there can be value in reading. Let's call it like problematic fiction in this way of like. And not in a way of like, you need to not in a way of like, well, everyone's got to read. Like, I do want to like state mm-hmm. that, like, yeah. I think there's also value in not reading it. Like, I would That's never tell point. anyone that like, oh, no, you really got to read it because of X, Y and Z. Like, I disagree with that. Like, I am firmly of the opinion that like everyone makes their own reading choices. And mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. if you want to not read stuff because you don't like the author for whatever personal reason or ethical reason or moral reason or whatever, like, good like that needs no justification yeah right like 
do that because like one thing I do hate is this stuff of like, Oh, cancel culture is ruining, but like, no, fuck that shit. Like everyone gets to make their own choices about like what media they consume. And it is a perfectly valid reason to say like, not read Arthur C. Clarke's childhood's end because he was a pedophile later in life. Like that is a valid reason sure. not to read that book. Yeah. And, and you, you wouldn't even need any, any reason really. I right. mean, like you, you could just vaguely think that some current modern author who has no particular scandal is like distressing to you for whatever reason that you can't even articulate and so right. don't read it. Great. So don't I, read it. That's I, mean, awesome. I agree with you there, but I think it's worth calling out that people tend to be more defensive when people's reasons are like, well, the author's done something bad, so I don't want to read That's it. That's true. Like that yeah. is something that people tend to get weirdly defensive about much more so than other personal choices. So I do want to call that out specifically as like a valid thing beyond just like, yeah, everyone makes their own yeah. choices, obviously. Yeah. I think another part of this that's interesting is when we think about like, um, not just the decision to read or not to read or the decision to discuss or not to discuss, but the decision about how we frame the position that these people have in the culture. In other words, the creation mm -hmm, of the canon. Mm -hmm, how do we mm -hmm. think about like, how do we think about the influence that they have on, on each other? And how do we think about, you know, how we should kind of write the history of the genre or of literature, you know? Right. And I think like the question of, of canon is, it's very related to all of these other things that we've mm -hmm. already mentioned. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea when people talk about Arthur C. Clarke, often it's in the context of him being like one of the like top three or four greats of his era of science fiction, like the big right. three, the big four, whatever. Right. I mean, like um, we were doing earlier. And, and that it's important to recognize that discourse about like, who's the big three or something that doesn't, um, that that's that doesn't mean nothing that first mm -hmm. of all that flows naturally into people's heads all over the world i've heard mm -hmm. people who are science fiction fans from other countries who don't even know english talking about arthur c clark um as this like great figure right right and, and like and like they they just sort of get this received idea and they, it's not like they have like heard some argument establishing that and then like bought into the argument they've just sort of bought the idea is just swirling around and yeah. so they 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 hear it and they they internalize it whether they you know get any benefit out of it or not and often right. they don't you know right. and i think too it's worth you know like it isn't as simple as like oh these books are good and so we should read them it's also a question of like what are you not reading because you are reading these books exactly. like who exactly. are we missing who was like a great author that we're missing because we have like arthur c clark in that sort of like top three mm -hmm. top four spot whatever it is right like i mean that's part of why we wanted to read clark and then Anna Kavan and Samuel R. Delaney, right? Like that's part of why we chose right. these authors in the same because yeah. like there's a degree to which like Anna Kavan is like not in that discussion because Clark is. And it's not obviously like that simple and one-to-one, -one, right? But there's a degree to which, you know, how many women science fiction authors were there who were like, her sexually harassed by Isaac Asimov at one of these like <laughs> cons that he was constantly at. Apparently a lot. A lot. And like decided to like stop being involved in the community and eventually stop writing fiction. How many, you know, like black science fiction authors were there who John Campbell decided not to publish because of their race or because they wrote about race. And so like they didn't get work and they are not in the canon. Yeah due to that positive choice by or, this or they just sort of you know never even submitted because they knew they wouldn't be published you know totally 100 100 percent. and so it's like i mean it's really worth taking this kind of critical look at the canon at the past and not just in a sense of like oh well like these people weren't 
published and writing. So like, I can't, how do I read them? It's like, it's also, it's like looking at the whole publishing structure and like kind of the racism and sexism inherent in that both at the time and like still, right? Yeah. Like these structures yeah. are still really racist and still really sexist and like, sure it's gotten better in some ways, but it's like just as bad in others. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's there's definitely a lot of things to think about. I think, I mean, right. I think, like one way that I think about how to deal with all of this, there's a lot of things that I that Adrian said that I agree with. You know, in terms of you, you know, buying decisions have to be thought thought through, and like I, you know, I want to think about like what I what we talk about on the podcast mm-hmm. differently than what I how I think about what what I want to read. Mm-hmm. But I also I also I, I want to try as I read to think about all of these issues to think yeah. about like yeah. what am I missing because I'm reading this and not something else. What am I like? what is what sort of like hidden ideas are being supported by this narrative you know right i mean i think it all kind of goes back to the to the basic idea that like you know when you're consuming uh information um it's like consuming anything else you have to be aware of what you eat or mm-hmm. you'll die mm-hmm. and you have to be aware i think of what information you consume or you'll find yourself transmuted gradually over the eons of your of of your life into some someone you don't want to be um so i think you know there's a there's a kind of as you read component to this too yep oh 100 percent. that's a really good point and that's you know hopefully i mean again that's sort of like what i want to do with this podcast is like put a critical eye to this stuff right mm-hmm. like i want to be able to talk about it both you know i mean like listen we talk about it in the in the Arthur C. Clarke post read, like I really enjoy that novel still. I had a really fun time rereading it. It, it, you know, not all of it holds up. Some of it is like deeply problematic. Um, other stuff is clearly like problematic for now, but him like trying at the time, (laughs) even if he's like, you know, sort of like failing in some ways, especially like from today's point of view. Um, but like, I think that it's, you know, like it's worth having kind of like all of those ideas in mind as you read that like oh there's sort of like the author is like a bad person in these ways there's some like problematic content in here there's also some like really interesting content in here and like that Mm -hmm. all is mixed in together and on top of it it's entertaining and fun to read right and like like all that stuff can be true at the same time and is worth like grappling with and holding on to equally and you know I think I see a lot of um, I see this happen a lot in sort of like left leaning book and movie discourse spaces. There's this thought process that happens, which is, you know, I'm a good leftist, whatever. Like I, I have, you know, like I'm a good person. Some like art is problematic and bad. I like piece of art X. Thus, because I'm a good person and some art is bad, this art must be good because I like it, right? And it's like, that doesn't all actually follow. Like, it is possible to like deeply problematic and like morally bad pieces of art. Like it is possible to like thoroughly enjoy something like despite it being like bad in these other ways. And I think it's really important not to get caught in the trap of like, oh, I'm enjoying this thing. And so it must be good. So I need to justify why it's good. Yeah, completely agree. I think this is one of the reasons why I find it useful sometimes just as a check on my own thinking to like reframe the argument with different um, Mm -hmm. objects, Mm -hmm. you know, reframe the argument about um, Arthur C. Clarke instead with reference to Wagner, because that kind of like takes the, um, you know, kind of 
some of the like immediate shock or hurt that you might or, or like sort of um, defensiveness that you might feel when you're kind of confront yourself with something that you don't like how you yeah. you end up looking um, and, you know take some of that out of it and you can be a little bit more dispassionate when you think about what this argument is here like what is this that I'm actually thinking about um, Wagner I, I, I use him as an example because I legitimately really enjoy like mm-hmm. the ring cycle operas and like I mean Wagner's like you music. came down here to watch like, them and stuff. I, I did. And um and yet like Wagner it wasn't like a little bit of an anti Semite or something. He was he wrote um impassioned essays about Jews being terrible right. <laughs> and got them published, which was not the like middle of the road mainstream thing for people to do. When mm-hmm. he was alive, it was like exceptionally anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. I think that's my view. And it's so, worth it that, that those are not just like ideas that exist in the world, right? Like ideas are not just ideas. They also influence people to action. Right. And, you know, I think maybe this is something that like gets lost in a lot of the free speech type of discourse is like Wagner doing that probably like led to the death of real people. Like Wagner doing that like possible. led to yeah. the like oppression of real people and like real harm in the real world yeah and like that is worth like considering with this type of stuff it's like it's not just like the ideas are bad it's also a question of like how does that influence people both in like conscious ways of like i've made this argument and you agree with it so you're going to go do a bad thing but also in like i am writing with a certain ideology and without even realizing it you're adopting that ideology as your own yeah. I mean, I think uh, it's very difficult, right? Because there's no there's no point in any of these discussions where we can make a rule and then follow that rule. 100 percent. I, I, I don't I don't think that we ever get a point as we as we sort of dance back and forth around these these issues where we can make a rule like, you know, like, a, a, you know, readers, uh, listeners may or may not be familiar, you know, with with uh, the famous uh, dictum that Plato put forth in the Republic that the poets should be kicked out of the city um, because poetry is dangerous, because art has this dangerous and sort of, you know, revolutionary or or like anti anti um, order, you know, mm-hmm. anti status quo ability. Yeah. Anti status quo effect on people or this sort of anarchic effect on people's minds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um Literally, as far back as there is writing, we have people expressing ambivalence at best or sort of like, you know, <laughs> yeah. anger or like much stronger emotions at worst about the effect of of like art on people. And like it's a very live argument that doesn't get resolved. We Nobody's resolved it in the thousands of years people have been having it. And we're not going to resolve it here now No, <laughs> because it no. doesn't get resolved. You we're know? not going to resolve it. But I think we can sort of like state kind of our thesis position yeah, yeah. and like the, the, you know, I mean, yeah, in the I same say, way I that like up, I want to yeah. know the thesis of these books I'm reading course, and no. like think about it. I want to know the thesis of like myself. <laughs> yeah, you know, I bring this up because I think people, you know, listeners should not expect that if they think about this for like, x minutes they will then like come to their answer and then be able to not think about it anymore oh yeah i don't think that's how this works it's a process it's not a light conclusion Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so i think that you know that's what i really have to say about that kind of thing um you know think about the way you're influenced be aware and like by being aware you can like you know be influenced less or like more in the right ways maybe um, yeah, you can yeah. use problematic art if you like it, perhaps to make something that is helpful to the world or mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. makes 
that brings joy to people and isn't right. problematic in the same ways. Right. I mean, like you can write Lovecraft fan fiction that is anti-racist instead of hugely racist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, like that's what Black Tom is. Like Black Tom is like a really useful example of this kind of thing in my head because, and I bring it up a lot because it is this really interesting artifact of like, it's great and entertaining. It's also like taking a hugely problematic thing and like flipping that on its axis and like learning from it and like hopefully mm -hmm. teaching other people like with it. And I think that that's the, mm -hmm. the like, it's not the only useful project to do with problematic art, but it is one possible useful project. Um, and mm -hmm. I think this is why, you know, like, yeah, I, I don't know. It's complicated. It's like, you know, another useful project is to just like ignore it entirely and write sure. your own less problematic exactly. stuff, right? Like exactly. another useful project is to, you know, hopefully do some of what we've been doing, which just like, fuck it. I don't care. Let's read River Solomon and, you know, Victor Laval and, uh, you know, Stanley Chan instead. Uh, let's 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 try to like bring out more diverse voices and diverse points of view and like diverse lived experiences. Nalo Hopkinson, like you know, <laughs> what, what, yeah, whatever it is, yeah. like exactly. I, I and and you know, it's like I bring that stuff up not just because like oh like the authors are black or women or whatever, but also because like they write fiction from a particular point of view that like I know growing up as a kid I didn't get. Right. Like we're talking about like Asimov and Heinlein and even Bradbury with Bradbury maybe being a little bit of an outlier in this sort of stuff. But like Asimov, Clark and Heinlein all wrote from a really like, you know, a place of like white privilege of essentially white supremacy of like definite like male supremacy and like sexism. Right. Like they all wrote with these like projects in mind and like what I got reading those was not the same thing that I got from reading Brown Girl in the Ring, which has like very different projects in mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just to, just to emphasize something you just said, Adrian, because I think it's really true. Like it really is a useful project to to like. I also think it's a useful project to, to like ignore the bad yeah. stuff that you don't like the problematic yeah. stuff like and, and like you just like go and make your own canon that you think is better. Mm -hmm. Um so I, if, if that's something people want to do, they should do it, I think. <laughs> right, right. You don't have to listen to the next three episodes of this podcast if you're not into it. <laughs> that's right. You that's know? right. Or All perhaps only listen to Ice because Ice is like you know, less it's, you know, not really in the same category. I think. Right. Or, but also then like, you know, ice is also the one with the most like on-screen sexual violence. Right. And we talk about that's that right. really in depth. So maybe don't, if that's the thing that bothers you, like that's yeah. also super valid. Um, you know, like I'm not going to say that, you know, even while ice has like a project, like we talked about of like using that to subvert like bad sort of like male supremacist like social structures that doesn't change that like reading that stuff can still do harm on a personal level totally right and so like you have to make your own decisions on that and i'm definitely not here to tell people what the right decisions for them are mm -hmm. yep Cool. All right. Do we have anything else that we wanted to talk about in relation to any of these books? Yeah. Please let us know. I think if you have a, um, a concern with something that we've said, or if you think that we're wrong, I, uh, yes. as always, you know, it's, I don't think we deserve, you know, your criticism, you know, necessarily, it's not like our right to get it, but like, if you feel so moved to criticize, please do. Right. Well, and you know, I think if, if like beyond just criticizing us, like I'm curious how other people think about this, right? Like, it's not just about sort of like self-flagellation and being like, Oh, tell us how we're wrong. It's also like, 
discuss with us because we're interested in like continue like it's a process for us too and we're interested in the process of like you know understanding this kind of stuff better Mm. you know and i think too i'll uh the like final thing i kind of want to say maybe you know like this is a discussion that you and i have been having off mic a little bit maybe it kind of fits here on mic a little bit which is that like we've at times reading some of the novels that we've read more recently felt like oh like you know, we're not the best people. Like, you know, Matt and I are both like white, straight cis dudes. Like we're, you know, like we're not the best people to necessarily talk about River Solomon's work or like some of this other work that we've been reading. Um, And sort of the question comes up for us of like, well, should we even be doing it? And like the answer that we keep kind of hitting upon is like, you know, one, we should do better about having like guests on (laughs) so that we can also promote other people's voices which we try i mean like it's also there's like just a very real like this is a hobby and it takes a lot of time kind of aspect of that but then also there's this element of like maybe we're not the like right people to talk about it but like also like we do have this podcast and if we don't choose some of those novels then like what are we going to choose are we going to like exactly it's uncomfortable to talk about some of this stuff and we're not the right people to talk about it does that mean that we just read more white dude authors and then like propagate the kind of like very systems that we like hope to see like you know changed and like we don't want to do that and so there's like in some ways like no correct choice there but given that we do exist from this place of privilege with this podcast like we do try to you know do our best which like is maybe not great and not good enough or whatever but is still at least like trying to promote things that we think are worthy of promotion yeah and and selfishly i i at least enjoy learning stuff from doing this and and mm-hmm. hopefully sort of like mm-hmm. you know getting like personal kind of practice you know in some way out of like trying right the attempt you know that's a little bit selfish, but it it is how I think. Right. And hopefully kind of modeling like just the process of like, like I don't try to be, you know, I am not afraid to on the podcast be like wrong about stuff and to like go through a growth process. Like if I can model that growth process, like it, even if I don't come off, you know, as like the greatest, like I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, I hope there's some element of like, you know, modeling being imperfect, but like in a way that is moving towards improvement. <laughs> there better be, cause I think that's all you can do. <laughs> modeling imperfection is like another way right. of describing being alive. <laughs> right. But you know, like doing that in a way that is hopefully like not self-conscious and is like, Hey, I'm going to be wrong about stuff, but also I'm not afraid to like be wrong and show what it takes to like be better and like learn like i think i think that like process of learning is one that like often kind of like you know people really talk about it and like you know oh like this person did the shitty thing we need to like you know like forgive them and let them like grow and stuff like that's like okay yeah but like let's also try to model just like the people who are actually not doing hopefully too shitty of things and like growing and like trying like i i I don't know i i don't want to like to i feel like anytime i talk about this stuff it comes across as me like tooting my own horn which i really don't want to do so much as like i don't know like i i like reading these novels that we read i like doing the thing that it is that we do even if it's at times deeply uncomfortable and even if it at times maybe doesn't like you know maybe is uncomfortable to listen to and maybe at times it's like i don't come across as like the best and like i'm kind of okay with that yeah being uncomfortable is okay Mm -hmm. all righty so we'll have um a break next week 
then we'll do sort of like three weeks in a row of these three novels one after another um you know again we'll do sort of like book facts and kind of both a non-spoiler and then a spoilery section in each of those episodes so like you know we'll, we'll do that stuff in those episodes uh we have guests on for them some sort of like returning guests it's it's all been really fun and like a really kind of like fun project for us to go through so looking forward to it enjoy the like you know winter december weather for those of you who live in places where that is true you know both both matt and i do so <laughs> getting into that time of year and uh yeah we will oh yeah thanks to wj for the music and noah bradley for the artwork we're at spectology pod on twitter or spectologypod.com if you do want to talk to us about any of this stuff um and also, if you have any books that you want us to read in 2020, um, feel free to like tweet or email us or that kind of stuff. We're putting together, or I'm putting together, just sort of like a big list, um, kind of going through the stuff that we read these last two years and sort of like putting together like what we're what we're going to go. Any guests that you think might make a good guest, anything like that, always open to suggestions on that type of stuff because you know it's part of how we learn about what is potentially out there. Sounds good. Cool. All right, Matt. Thanks for the thanks for the lots of podcast recording the last week. <laughs> Good seeing you, buddy. Mm, time to rest. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Peace out.